Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And what I want to address this morning, and I believe what, what Paul is really addressing here, of course, this is another prayer uh, of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he prays for us. He prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and so certainly this is uh, another in our sermon series, Let Us Pray, uh, perhaps the concluding message of that series. But what I really want us to hear this morning is, is what is the significance or the meaning of the resurrection. Paul's going to mention the resurrection, the power of the resurrection in this prayer. But when we think about the meaning or the, the significance of the resurrection, uh, I think many of us, uh, and rightly so, would, uh, would immediately think back 2,000 years ago on that first Easter Sunday morning, and we would claim, and, and again, correctly, that the resurrection was all about Christ securing our salvation. God demonstrating through this majestic power of raising his son from the dead that this Jesus was indeed who he claimed to be, our Savior and Lord. That our salvation, therefore, uh, is real. Uh, and uh, again, what a, what a comfort that should be to our hearts. Romans uh, verse, or chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Jesus was raised for our justification. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so certainly as we think about the significance of the resurrection, there is this past significance, this important issue of, of salvation that certainly cannot be overlooked. Others, I believe, as we think about the significance of the resurrection, would point to the future. Claim that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead uh, is that which ensures all of us who have trusted in him that one day we too will be raised from the dead. And of course that is true as well. Jesus says in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. <clears throat> Paul says it simply in 1 Corinthians 6, 14. He says, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So we have that confidence, that hope, a word that Paul is going to mention in his prayer, uh, that yes, the resurrection is significant because it, it guarantees that one day we too will be raised. Both this past and future significance of the resurrection, I believe, are essential uh, for a complete understanding of why we celebrate Easter. Uh, but this morning, what I want us to do is to emphasize the present significance of the resurrection. I think that's something that we, we often lose sight of. Uh, the present significance of the resurrection. In other words, what does Paul mean when he says that he wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection? I mean, Paul obviously had already been converted. He was a believer. He was an apostle. Uh, he had seen the, the resurrected Lord Jesus with his own eyes. Uh, he was now traveling the world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and he makes that 
that request or that statement. I want to I know the power of his resurrection. Paul was talking about something that can be known or experienced right now in the lives of believers. He wanted to experience it. We should want to experience it. Then, of course, in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Paul speaks for all of us when he says, We were buried, therefore, with him, Christ, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so I believe that what Paul is saying here is that in his mind, this reality or the reality of the resurrection is that which empowers us today to walk in newness of life. God has given us a brand new life in Jesus. Uh, we refer to it as eternal Life. And again, often when we, when we think of that word eternal, we just think of something that has no end. And again, that is absolutely true. The life that you now have in Christ will never end. Nothing can bring it to an end. But that's not all there is to eternal life. Eternal life is not just a life that goes on forever into the future, but it's a life that you can have right now. A quality of life that you can experience. And the reality, I believe, for most people in the world, and I would say even for many, many Christians, is that we never quite seem to tap into the reality of the power that is available to us right now because of the resurrection. That resurrection power that Paul said he wanted to experience, to know in his life. Right now, we're kind of like uh, back in the early days of the 20th century, uh, a name that everybody knew was uh, William Randolph Hearst. He was perhaps one of the most wealthy men of his generation. He was a, uh, uh, he printed magazines and newspapers and, and again, sold lots of them. Uh, and, uh, and he became a collector uh, of rare art. And one day, uh, he was reading about these pieces of art that so captured his imagination, uh, he, he had to have them. And so he sent his people scouring the earth to try to find these pieces of art that he just had to have. And finally one day, word came back to him, uh, Mr. Hurst, uh, the pieces of art that you have been searching for have been found. Uh, they were located in one of your own storehouses uh, in Los Angeles, California. So the very thing that he was trying to get his hands on, he already possessed. And I think for many Christians today, the thing that we keep trying to get our hands on, this, this power to live this newness of life, uh, we already possess. God has, has given it to us through the person of his son, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We are to live, we can live right now today in the power of the resurrection. And that's what I believe Paul is really praying for as he prays for the, uh, the believers in Ephesus. And so I, I want to just read this passage of scripture to you. I hope you have your Bibles open or your, your device turned on here. Ephesians chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. Paul says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. 
having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's, let's pray. A lot there to, to, to digest this morning. Father, we are so thankful for this prayer. And, and Father, I pray that we would imitate the Apostle Paul, Lord, that we would, we would look at this prayer and realize that this is not simply a prayer that, that he desired to pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ, but Lord, this is a prayer that we should pray for one another. Lord, we should be just as committed uh, to one another as, as Paul was to the church of his day. Uh, so Lord, again, open our hearts and minds, again, as, as Paul prays, Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Enlighten us this morning. Help us to see the resources of Christ, the riches and glory of Christ available to us today. We'll give you praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In these verses, we're going to find several aspects of resurrection-empowered living. It is the power of the resurrection that enables you to live the life that God has given you in Christ. And of course, the very first thing that I want to talk about this morning is resurrection-empowered prayer. If we are going to pray, as we should, praying that God's purposes might be fulfilled in us, praying that God's blessings might be found among our brothers and sisters in Christ, praying that those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus will come to know Him in time, praying for those who are going through times of difficulty. You know, we've been, we've been talking about so many aspects of prayer over the last 12 or 13 weeks. Um, we should by now have a pretty good grasp, a, a, a good theoretical understanding of what prayer is and how it is to be a part of our lives. But, but what Paul is saying to us is that he wants prayer to become a part of our lives. Not just that we know what it is or know that we should do it, but that we become a, a people of prayer empowered by the resurrection. He says, for this reason, and then he gives us the reason. He said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And by the way, what we have there, we have the two, uh, again, real marks of genuine Christianity, right? As a matter of fact, during our seven days of prayer, the very first one, the thing that we started with last Sunday morning, was that we as a people might be characterized by faith toward God and love toward one another. Those are, those are two essential marks of genuine Christianity. Faith toward God, love toward one another. What was it that Jesus said when he was asked what the greatest commandments were? He said, the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our lives are to be characterized by that. It's the power of the resurrection, Paul prays, that enables us 
to pray for one another, as we should. Uh, the power of the resurrection that was working in Paul uh, is what compelled him to pray for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And the fact that he knew that it was the power of the resurrection that was at work in his brothers and sisters in Christ. So what should compel us to pray for one another? Well, first of all, the power of the resurrection at work in me, and then knowing that the power of the resurrection is at work in you. That compels me to pray. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So first of all, and I believe foremost because he, he lists it here first, Paul wants his brothers and sisters in Christ to know how thankful he is for them. I believe that we should pray for one another. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, we share this heavenly calling. Do you, do you understand that? The, the, the writer of Hebrews speaks of our calling as a heavenly calling. God has called us to himself. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He himself has called us and set us apart for his own purposes. And that is true for every one of us who has received Christ as Savior and Lord. In other words, we're in this together. And so we should pray for one another. And we should pray for one another continually. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Uh, we should pray for one another, thanking God for our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, let me just ask you, when's the last time you got on your knees and just thanked God for your brothers and sisters in Christ? You know, it's easy for us to thank him for financial blessings, for having plenty of food to eat, a nice house to live in, cars to drive. It's easy for us to thank him for, you know, place to worship. But how often do we truly pray, thanking God for our brothers and sisters in Christ? And then beyond that, how often do we say to one another, I'm so thankful for you? I said that this morning as we started our service. I'm so thankful for you. I want you to know that. And I want you to know that by the grace of God, I will pray for you. And will pray thanking God for you. Empowered by the resurrection. Paul also prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ because he sympathizes with them. Notice that he says there, he says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. And again, those are words that we hear so often, they begin to just kind of slip by us without much thought. For an individual to put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, to look to him as the one and only true God and Savior. Well, number one, it's a remarkable thing to do that. But, but number two, and I believe what Paul is, is getting at here, is that faith in the Lord Jesus, faith in this one and only true God, you know what it does? It separates us from the rest of the world. I mean, the Bible says that we're to come out from among them and be separate. Uh, the idea is that, and again, it's true today just as much as it was in Paul's day, the vast majority of people in the world around us do not worship or serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we do, it, 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 it separates us from this world of unbelievers. 
Uh, and so Paul, again, Paul is writing these words, this prayer from prison. Paul is imprisoned because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. Christians all over the world are suffering persecution. As a matter of fact, that was our prayer uh, yesterday. Praying for our Christian brothers and sisters throughout the world who are suffering oppression and persecution. People all around the world are imprisoned, persecuted, simply because of their faith in Christ. Our faith in Christ indeed separates us from the rest of the world. Paul could sympathize with us in that, and so he, he prays for us who, like him, were experiencing that sense of, of separation. Then he also prays for the saints because he can identify with them in, the, in well, in their unity, uh, your love toward all the saints. Paul had a love in his heart for all the saints. I mean, you can't help but, but see it or hear it in the words that he speaks through the letters that he has written. Paul loved his fellow believers. One of the first things in my own life as a new Christian that I realized was different about me is that I suddenly had a love in my heart for people that I didn't even know. But I loved them because they loved Jesus. And I love Jesus. So... While our faith in Jesus Christ may separate us from the unbelieving world, our love for one another unites us. Again, that's why it's so important that we come together to worship. We come together to serve. We come together to pray, to learn, to grow in our faith. Paul was united to these brothers and sisters because of the mutual love that they had for the body of Christ. So church, as we are encouraged to pray, Know that when we pray, we have the power of the resurrection available to us that enables us to pray as we ought to pray. You know, a lot of times we make excuses about prayer, right? We don't know how to pray. We don't have time to pray. This kind of eliminates any excuse. The power of the resurrection enables you to pray as you should. And then... Paul kind of gets into the, to the heart of his prayer. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. Now this is something that we've talked a lot about over the last several weeks. Over and over and over again as Christians, we are, we are encouraged to pray for one another and, and to pray that we grow together in our knowledge of God. And of course, Paul mentions that Again, here, that you might, that the Lord may give you. Again, this is something that God has to do in our lives. He gives you this spirit of wisdom and revelation. And of course, the idea behind that word wisdom is, is really skill. The ability to use the word of God or the truth wisely as it should be used. God gives us this ability. I mean, James says, if any of us lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. He gives generously. God gives us this wisdom. I think sometimes as Christians, we, we think, I'm not wise. I just don't have the wisdom that others have. And therefore, I won't or can't be used as others have been used. Let me tell you, the wisdom of God is available to us. Paul is praying that God's wisdom would be given to us by God. James says all we have to do is ask and the wisdom of God will be given to us. Church, the wisdom of God is available to you. And we just simply need to understand that and live in accordance with that 
truth. So Paul prays that we would be skilled in the use of the knowledge that we have obtained right up to this point. Now, is there still more that we should know? Absolutely. And so he says, not only in wisdom, but in revelation. The Word of God continues to be revealed to us through our study, through our sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's Word, through our devotional reading, through our praying for one another. God reveals Himself to us. And that's another truth that we need to grasp this morning. It's not just to a select few that God reveals Himself. It's to all of us. God reveals Himself to us through the pages of Scripture. And so not only are we to skillfully use that knowledge that we've already obtained, but we're to continue increasing in that knowledge that we've yet to obtain, that God's just waiting to to show us in His Word. We should pray for one another. that We have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of, of him. And then Paul says this wonderful thing, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Paul is not simply speaking of knowledge for knowledge's sake. Paul, Paul's really speaking of spiritual knowledge or spiritual insight. This, 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 this phrase, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, it speaks of, of spiritual vision as opposed to physical vision. Uh, Often our physical eyes are not able to grasp the spiritual reality in a given set of circumstances. There's an illustration of this in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings verse 6. You may remember this story. The king of Syria was at war with Israel. Uh, But at every turn his plans were thwarted. And he could not understand why he was not having more success. His army was greater than the army of Israel. He he had more weaponry than Israel had. There was no reasonable excuse that his army continued to fail. Well, then he heard that in Israel there was a prophet named Elijah. And, And he was told, this prophet can hear what you're talking about in your bedroom. Now, Elijah couldn't really hear what he was talking about in his bedroom, but God could. And God was letting Elijah know, and Elijah would warn Israel, and Israel would escape defeat, and it happened over and over and over again. And so the king of Syria, when he hears about Elijah, determines to do away with him. Uh, He would no longer uh, be a source of frustration to the king. So he sends his army to Dothan, where Elijah lives, and, and he sends them there to capture Elijah. And verse 15 Second Kings 6 tells us that early one morning Elijah's servant went out to behold an army with horses and chariots all around the city. The army of Syria had arrived. And the servant, I think, knew why. They were coming for us. And of course he's terrified at this moment. He's struck with fear. But Elijah tells him this, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now I can only imagine what this young servant must have thought as he looked at this vast army, horses and chariots surrounding this little small village of Dothan. There was not another army in sight. How can those who are with us be more than those who are with them? So he was not comforted by the words that Elijah spoke because his physical eyes told him a different story. So Elijah prays a prayer 
for his servant that's very similar to the one that Paul is praying here for us in Ephesians 1.18. Elijah said, oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. In other words, open the eyes of his heart. I mean, he could see. He could see the Syrian army out there. But what he couldn't see was the reality, the spiritual reality that existed all around him. Of course, God granted Elijah's prayer, and suddenly the servant was able to see the spiritual reality that was there all along. The Bible says that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. And he realized in that moment that Elijah was right. The, Syria, or the army of Syria was indeed outnumbered, and of course we know they were ultimately defeated. Uh, and, I, and I believe that's what happens to us all too often. We see circumstances with our physical eyes. We view troubles, problems uh, through this sensory organ that allows us only to see a limited aspect of our situation. And what Paul says is through the power of the resurrection, we have the ability to see the mountains full of horses and chariots of fire if we have eyes to see. So Paul prays specifically for three things that he wants us to see or to, to know. Look what he says here. He says, I want them to have the eyes of their heart, hearts enlightened that you, us, may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The hope to which he has called you. Now, the idea behind that word hope, I'm just going to have to do it quickly here, is certainty. Paul doesn't want us to kind of go through life hoping in the sense wishing that things would go a certain way or that that God might, might, might be a certain way. The reality is, hope in the New Testament is a word that speaks of absolute certainty. Uh, it gives us the ability to hope, to, to, to look forward, to expect with confidence. A confident expectation is the way that I have often defined this word, hope, in the New Testament. What Paul wants is us, for us to grasp the certainty of, of our salvation, what that salvation means to us today. Uh, so that's what he's, he's asking here, Lord. Open their eyes, the, the eyes of their hearts, that they may know what is the hope to which he has called you. And we went through a, a list of these things. What, what is our hope in? Our hope is in that Jesus Christ is the one sent from God to, to save us from our sins, right? Our, our faith, our, our hope is in the, 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 the reality of the resurrection, that the tomb indeed is empty, and it was and is. That, that's our reality, that, that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of the Father, as we'll read about in just a moment, that he lives this very moment to be our access to the Father, our, our intercession, that one day he's coming back to take us home to be with him, where we will live on a new earth, a resurrected earth, throughout all eternity, experiencing God's blessings in ways that we can only begin to experience them now. That's the hope that we have. And that hope is not just for then, it's for now. That hope enables us to live triumphantly in a world that would tell us not a lot of victory out there. So Paul wants us to, to understand this hope. And then he also wants us to understand what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Theologians have debated over the years exactly what this phrase is speaking of. Many believe that it's just simply speaking of 
the, the inheritance that we have as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we are joint heirs with Jesus, right? One day, there is an, an inheritance coming our way. The inheritance of Almighty God uh, in Christ has, has guaranteed this inheritance, with, with, sealed us with the Holy Spirit to guarantee this inheritance. One day, we're going to inherit our Father's kingdom. I mean, it's an amazing thought when you think of it. So either that's what Paul is talking about here, this inheritance that we will enjoy in the days ahead, or what this verse means, and I tend to think of it in this second way, it is speaking of the inheritance that we, the people of God, the children of God, are to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we're his inheritance. We're God's gift, God the Father's gift to God the Son. Now, either way you choose to look at it, all right, whether we are God's treasure or whether we are those to whom God will leave his treasure, you know what it says about us, right? We are people of significance. You know, I, I believe so often that, that the church fails to accomplish and maybe more in the lives of individuals, we, we seemingly fail to accomplish the things that we would like to accomplish in the name of Christ because we just don't see ourselves as very important. We see ourselves as small, insignificant. But the Bible tells us that's just not true at all. We are those who are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. We are, we are people of significance, and we should live in accordance with that reality. And then, thirdly, he says, I want them to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Uh, according to the working of his great mind. Look at all those words. Immeasurable greatness, power, working, great might. Paul stacks these words one upon the other to try to give us some understanding of the power of God that is available to us in our lives today. Look at that. The immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe. What Paul is saying, he's speaking of resurrection power, the very power of God that raised Christ from the dead. And by the way, there's really no greater display of God's power than in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You know, often when I talk about the, the display of God's power, it's easy to go back to creation, right? When God spoke the universe into existence, what a display of His power to create all of this out of nothing. But you know, I'm convinced no greater display of God's power than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He raised Jesus from the dead. And let me just say this, dead people don't walk out of their tombs three days after they've been buried. But Jesus did because of the power of God, the immeasurable greatness of his power. And now that power, Paul says, is toward us who believe. Not only is that power that raised Jesus from the dead there for us to marvel at, but it's there for us to live out our lives that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And, and then... Again, just in connection with our significance as, as a people, look what he did in Christ. 
After he raised him from the dead, the Bible says he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. That is the, the position of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A resurrected, resurrection-empowered position. But let me tell you, it's not just His position, it's our position. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that we're seated there with Him. Not that we're going to be seated there with Him, that we are seated there with Him. In other words, His strength, that, that power, that access to God, that's available to us right this minute, every day. That's why, why, why Paul could say in, in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That wasn't just the Apostle Paul that should be able to say that. We should all be able to say that. We can say that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It, this also speaks of the sovereignty of God in our behalf. We, we, if there's one thing that we emphasize in this church, it is the sovereignty of God. God is in control of His creation. There is no power, no authority on earth, or in heaven for that matter, that is greater than God. That's what the scripture says. He has seated Him far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You know, the reality is that worldly rulers... Rise and fall, don't they? Worldly empires rise and fall. But Jesus, he's here forever. One day, the Bible says, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. That's the God that we serve. That's the position from which we live our lives. What, what I'm trying to, to say and what I hope you are understanding is that, again, this majestic experience of Christ is, well, it took place for, in our behalf. This power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us. This resurrection-empowered position. Uh, I think sometimes, again, as a church, we feel weak. What are we against such mighty powers as those at work in our world today. Well, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion. Far above every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. Church, there's nothing that we should fear. There's nothing that should intimidate us. We move forward in the power of the resurrection. And the last thing I want you to see is simply this. You who have trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, you are a resurrection-empowered people. All of this power that Paul is talking about, he says, and he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Now again, we could make the argument that for much of this passage of Scripture, Paul is talking about the power of the resurrection at work in our lives as individuals. But here he kind of clears it up for us if there's any doubt. He's really talking about the power of God at work through his church. Corporately. Again, why is it so important that we gather together? Because when we do, the power of the resurrection works through us. 
corporately. You know, I read a story uh, about a little church that came about as a result of a missionary traveling in a foreign land, a remote area of this country. One person was saved and then two, and eventually there were about a dozen or more. And uh, of course, a problem arose immediately. Uh, Christianity was not well received in this country. As a matter of fact, they learned that it was even outlawed. They weren't allowed to have Bibles. They weren't allowed to gather for worship. So you know what this church did? I mean, this is a, this is a recent story. This church, every Sunday, they rent a tour bus. And they drive that tour bus up into the mountains, and they stop, and they have church in the tour bus. But here's the question. I mean, creative, yes, but, but think about the, the bravery here. What would compel this handful of believers to go to that expense, to go to that inconvenience, to risk their lives or the imprisonment of their lives just to gather for a few minutes of worship on a Sunday morning. Well, it was their faith toward God and their love for all the saints. It was the power of the resurrection. It is the power of the resurrection at work in their lives. They know that the power of God Almighty, that Christ seated at the right hand of God over all power and dominion, is, is being exercised in their behalf. The church is being exercised in our behalf. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. And look what it says of us. We are the fullness of Him. You know, we, we speak of Christ being the fullness of the Godhead in Him. The fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Paul says here that the church, which is the body of Christ, or which is His body, the fullness of Him. Now think about that for a moment. Now again, the, Christ is God. Jesus is God. Uh, there's nothing that He lacks. But in the mind of God... Jesus considers himself, I believe, incomplete without us. He's the head, but where's body? It is through us that he accomplishes his purposes in the world. And again, there's no greater purpose that we could be called to than the purpose of the gospel, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, living in obedience to the gospel. We are the body of Christ. He is the head. He is our head, the head of the church. We are the fullness of Him, and He is the one who fills all in all. Let me tell you, just think about that for a while today. It'll, it'll blow your mind. You won't be able to understand it. How could we fill Him if He fills all? How could we be the fullness of Him if He fills all in all? So let me just say what I think this is just telling us is that there's nothing we can't accomplish when we work together in his power, in the power of the resurrection. Again, that's why Jesus could look at Peter and say, Peter, I mean, again, you got to think about this in the context in which it was said. Struggling little handful of believers, every one of them to a man had failed Jesus. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Can you imagine what an outlandish statement that was for Peter to hear in that moment? I mean, the reality is today, the church of Jesus Christ is spread out all over the world. And it still blows our mind to think that Jesus is going to build his church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Are you sure we're powerful enough for that, Lord? Are you sure we can handle that kind of response? Let me tell you, the church at that point existed in one small little area of the world. But I believe Peter would say what Jesus promised, it's coming to pass. He would say, Calvary Hill Baptist Church, your evidence of the truth of what Jesus said to me 2,000 years ago, and there is yet work to do.
Church, let's move forward together into this new year in the power of the resurrection, praying for one another, properly perceiving this life that God has called us to, uh, understanding this great power that's at work in our behalf as we gather together to accomplish the purposes of God. Let me pray with you. Father, we are so thankful today for your love and your grace, thankful for this power, this power of the resurrection. And Lord, I pray that we would see it as a current resource, Lord, not something that was ours at a time in our lives, not something that simply will be ours at another time in our life, but Lord, something that is ours right this very moment. We have the power that we need to do all that you have called us to. So help us to move forward confidently, boldly, uh, encouraged. Uh, and we'll just give you thanks and praise, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.